Let's go to, um, to Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went out and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. If you go back and you live in the stories, you see, that's what you got to do. You can't just read them. You got to go live in them. You have to sit on the street and listen. You have to hear the voices. You have to see the crowds. They've come from all over. It's Passover. They're all over there. They've got all kinds of accents, regional and otherwise, and they're speaking in different languages, and the buzz there, and they're wearing different kinds of clothes, and a rumor, a rumor of some sort has brought them out to the street that the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, has finally shown up. Others are saying Jesus is here, and the two messages get mixed. After a while, people begin to realize Jesus is the Messiah. They've heard so much about him. Feel the press of the crowd. You don't have personal space in the Middle East. Uh, that, you don't have it in most places in, in, in the world, by the way. And Americans will sometimes come back and say, people are so rude over there. They just bump into you. Well, you, you don't own the air. You know, um, they, they, they will, actually. I had one lady said, why that person reached right across me to get that off the shelf? And I said, because they, they wanted it. <laughs> you know, over here, you, you have guns, so you have to be a little bit more careful about the reaching thing. But uh, the, the, you're, you're, you're being jostled in the crowd. You're hearing cooking, uh, you're smelling cooking aromas, which would have been right by the street. And then you would have heard people start with that little, starting one, two, then all of a sudden starting to shout, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there he comes. And he's riding on a donkey. Now, and I hate saying donkey ever since Shrek, but um, I'm not allowed to use the King James word anymore. I get always in trouble when I do that. So anyway, there it is with this, um, this uh, ungulate, shall we say. Um, this, uh, here comes in a donkey. Now, that's interesting. You ought to stop immediately at that point because why is Jesus writing. When was the last time Jesus ever demanded any special treatment? When? He never did. He fed others and didn't need himself. He healed others, didn't take care of himself. He died for others, didn't, didn't, um, didn't come off the cross and take care of himself. Why, why would all of a sudden he said, now you need to go in that town, find this animal, bring them back. It's all been arranged. People, I've had people say, why did they just go get somebody's animal? Remember, he said, if anybody asks, say it's for Jesus, and they'll let you, they'll let you have him. It's been taken care of. 
Why would he do? He expected no special privileges. He sweated alongside them. But today is different. Because in 1 Kings chapter 133, the king enters Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. And Jesus is going to do this as a king. And not just any donkey, by the way. It had to be a donkey that had never carried any other burden. And that's why he says, you're going to find that one already provided for. Already ready. Go get it. Imagine that you're one of Jesus' apostles. You would have known immediately what that meant. It's like, yes, finally. After three years and a bit of preaching sermons about, you know, tares and, and wheat and fish things, uh, he's going to become king, and it's all, we're going to rule right beside him. It's going to be fantastic, and you can almost see them scampering. Yes, I use the word scamper. Uh, as, as they go into Jerusalem and grab that donkey, they're so excited, and as Jesus approaches, people start throwing their cloaks down in his path. Now, we don't really get that, but that was a huge sacrifice. You only had the one outer garment. You take it down and you're throwing it for a donkey to walk over. It's Passover. You're supposed to be clean to get in and do all this stuff. You're giving away everything you've got, even your chance to worship the way you had planned to worship for this guy. They're throwing the things down in front of him. They believed that their deliverance had finally come, and they were right, but they were wrong because they were thinking about a different kind of deliverance. Oh, you can't really blame them. The last time they'd been truly independent had been a hundred years ago when a guy named Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabees, had overthrown the Greeks. And his symbol was a palm branch. It was on all of his writings, uh, seals at the time. It was on all the coins, everywhere that you wanted to have a secret message that you were with the Maccabees, a palm branch would be hidden somewhere. Well, here come out the palm branches. They recognize the king has come back and they're throwing the palm branches down in front of him to ride over because he's going to be a bigger king than Judas Maccabeus. He was the king. But he was more than that. He was the promised one, the Messiah. Now, they got that as well. Most of them were getting that as well. But they didn't understand that that meant he had a different kind of kingdom different kind of place. We're all very territorial here. You know, that's my place, that's your place. You know, you mow that side, I'll mow this side. My wife and I uh, went on St. Patrick's Day to uh, the Shermerhorn uh, to, uh, to hear the Irish tenors. And uh, they did a great job as, as you know, they, they ought to do that professionally, frankly. Uh, they do that, they, they do a great job. But the, their last song that they sang was, uh, will you go, lassie, go? And I'm thinking, that's a Scottish song. That's ours. Give that back. You're not allowed to sing that. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, we get very territorial, don't we? Of course we do. We think this is our territory, and Jesus is going to be king over this for us, not understanding he's king over everything. And that means we have to adjust our territories. There's a problem with palms. Once cut, they wither and they die. And there's a problem with people's expectations. They can turn on you. People can put you up so high and they have so many expectations and you don't do it. And they turn on you. 
These people were willing to follow Jesus to the throne, but they weren't willing to follow him to the cross. And there are a whole lot of folk that want Jesus as their Savior, but don't want him as their Lord. There are a whole lot of folk that like the mercy bet. And by the way, I'm one of them that love the mercy and the grace bet, but don't like thinking about the other bet. He's Lord. He's in charge. He's God. And this is where we need to realize that freedom comes with cost. And we need to back up and look at this story and ask ourselves two questions. Why did Jesus come here at all? And the second, of what is Jesus king? I don't judge the people of Jerusalem. Don't get me wrong. This is very new. If we'd been in their place, we would have done the same thing. Absolutely. No question. They hadn't heard the story before. They hadn't gone to Bible school. They hadn't seen the flannel graph figures or sung the little songs in the back of the book. This is new. We've had 2,000 years, and we still stumble out the gate, don't we? We still have issues with this. We still make the same we make the same error when we read the Bible trying to mine it for verses on how to escape illness or how to escape loss or setbacks or how to avoid pain or how to avoid problems or you get the point. I've had so many people tell me the Bible is a how-to manual on life. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's an introduction to he who is life and we bow before him but it doesn't tell you. In fact, I had, I had a, a deacon at one church come to me after a missionary had presented. Now, this wasn't this church. This was not this church. After a missionary presented of all the difficulties they were facing, and he was just, the, the deacon was just like, well, he must be doing it wrong. And I looked at him. Here's a guy who'd never done any mission work in his life. And I said, uh, what? He said, because it's supposed to be happy following Jesus. He's, he's doing it wrong. Really? Have you read the Bible? How'd that work out for the disciples? Were they hap, hap, happy all the time? Doesn't look that way. How'd they turn out? Jesus didn't come to make your life pretty. He came because our life isn't pretty. He came because our hearts are corrupt. And we, from the garden on, have separated ourselves from God, and there was no way we could find our way back, so he came and provided one. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of, of, of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Why don't you think of that? God loves Jesus like you love your children, but even more because he's more perfect. And out of a root, out of dry ground, think about, stop right there, root out of dry ground. You don't expect roots out of dry ground. You don't expect to blossom out of dry ground. Here's an unexpected pleasure, an unexpected beautiful thing. Jesus has come. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I'll, I'll read the rest. You can hold that up. Um, in Breton, back in the early 80s, they did a, a, a BBC television uh, miniseries on the life of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. The controversy. 
or as we would say in English, controversy, was horrible. People were writing letters. They were insulting. So they were calling in. We don't even have talk radio, but they were talking anyway. Very upset. And it wasn't over what you might think, that they took liberties with Scripture. Or, no. It was because the fellow they had chosen to play Jesus was short, chubby, and bald. And that's not Jesus. We have pictures of him in the Bible. <laughs> He's a white guy. Um, remember the Swedish ski team, looks like, actually. Uh, very blonde. Uh, Nordic. A Nordic Jesus is who we've got here. And he glows a bit. Um, Jesus didn't look all that special. Do you remember when he was hanging out with all of the fishermen, the rough guys? Judas had to go up and point out who he was. He's like us. He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we, we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. We were in bad shape. So Jesus came. If you ever wondered why Jesus came, well, let's put it to you this way. You've been told all your life, especially if you're young, it's not about you. Today, it's about you. Why did Jesus come? You. Me too. It, it, it is about us. All of us, we have failed. We failed ourselves. We failed others. We failed God. And our best efforts cannot reverse that single, salient, obvious fact. I've used this story before of a man that slandered another man and then realized he had sinned and he went to the man and he apologized and, and he was sincere in his repentance. And he says, I'll do anything to make it up. And the man said, get a pillowcase and fill it full of feathers. Go up on that mountain and empty it. The man goes, all right, fine. And he did, and then he came back. He goes, what else can I do? He says, now go get them. We can't undo what we've done. You know, I, I can't undo what I've done. What about you? We need somebody to help us. So Jesus came. The medieval church um, came up with a little helpful device called the seven deadly sins to show us and convict us of who we are as people. Let's just do those really very quickly. Pride. Pride doesn't give God his rightful place. It doesn't give God the honor due him. It gives it to somebody else. Envy. Envy tells God that you agree with the devil in the Garden of Eden. Because what was that all about? The devil says, God's holding out on you. He's not giving you everything you really deserve and need. You're calling God a failed parent by saying, God has not supplied for you. And I, I don't want to rush past this one because we do this all the time. We'll, we'll complain about our wives, complain about our husbands, complain about our children, complain about our parents, complain about our church, complain about our nation, complain about whatever. And God's saying, Really? You've not been provided for? Envy. And then gluttony. Nobody wants to talk about gluttony. 
in America, one of the top industries is the weight loss industry. And yet the number one cause of death worldwide is still starvation. There's something out of whack. There's something out of whack, brothers and sisters. When we choose what sin we're going to jump on, you know, there are sexual sins in the scripture that are mentioned two and four times. That's about it. Gluttony is mentioned more than 400 times. Don't overfill. Doesn't mean just overeat. Don't overwork. Don't overdrink. Don't overeat. Don't over. Don't fill yourself with anything other than God. What fills you? What is your focus? If you're waking up in the morning wondering, uh, you know, so excited about, well, now I'm going to try this new restaurant, and then I'm going to try this one, that, and the other, there might be an issue. It might be that you need to, to pull back a wee bit and say, what am I filling my heart with? Or if you get up wanting to chase that extra dollar, that's gluttony. What, what are we trying to fill ourselves with? Then lust. Lust is just a sign of lack of faith in God because he says everything's going to be wonderful when Jesus establishes his rule of heaven. And we, we believe that, but we're saying, I just can't wait for the wonderful bits. I'm going to jump ahead to the pleasure as if the pleasure wasn't coming. Anger. Oh, Christians never get angry, do they? I've had people say, well, this is more of a righteous anger. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's like constructive criticism. That doesn't exist. Let me constructively destroy you. No, I don't think so. Anger is our attempt to dethrone God because we set ourselves up as judges, as many gods over our own territories. This isn't a little thing. This is not a minor sin. And let me take something away from you, shall I? You don't hear this anywhere else, but you hear it in the, in the States. People will say, yeah, I, I got a little temper. Like they're bragging. Don't brag. And sometimes they'll try to back it up by saying, or try to justify it rather, by saying, well, you know, my uncle's cousin's best friend actually shook hands with a fellow that knew someone who was Irish, so I, I got a temper. Really? My mom's Irish. Um, and she does have a fuse about that short. But when the fuse burns out, Jesus is inside her heart. And she's not going to explode on you, and you don't have the right to explode on anybody else. That's all. Anger. Then greed. Greed is the refusal to join Christ in humility. Greed is the refusal to join God in generosity. It is the opposite of every Christian virtue greed. No wonder the love of money is called the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it is called the root of all evil. Then sloth. That's the abandonment of the servant lifestyle that we were called to. We weren't called to sit about and be served. We were called to serve others. Sloth is the refusal to pick up the cross. The refusal to gird your loins, as the old King James would say, to use yourself up for the sake of the kingdom. Marshall Keeble preached in this building, or one of them, one of the iterations of the building. I know, because his picture's out there on the important people that have spoken at this church thing. 
And if you take a look, nobody important since like 74. But anyway, um, <laughs> Marshall Keeble spoke here, one of the greatest preachers of all, ki- of all times, great African-American leader who uh, did so much to, to heal racial divides. One day his family came to him and told him, you're getting old, you're getting sick, it's time to slow down. And I wish that I had the quote, but even if I did, I couldn't say it like him. His response was, I don't expect God would have given us an eternity to rest up unless he figured we were going to need it. No sloth there. All of us are trapped by sins. And he knew that. Jesus knew that. He knew us. He knew our sins. Are you ready for this? He knows more about your sin than you do. You might feel really bad about your sin, but you've missed a few that he knows. And he still loves you. He still came. He knew that a lot of those folk were going to yell, crucify him, very shortly. But he still came. He knew when he got on that donkey that some of them were going to put him on a cross. But he still got on. And he knew that the very people that threw down their cloaks and such would later pick up stones to throw at his followers, but he came anyway. Love demanded it. Love drove him. And as our young men told us before the table today, the greatest command is why he came. Love God, love each other. He knew that the very ones who welcomed him didn't even understand him, but he still came. He knew he'd disappoint many of them, those cut palm fronds, those expectations, but he still came. He knew that even after his death, and here's the really kicker, even after his resurrection, some of them wouldn't accept him, but he still went to the cross anyway. There is something noble in knowing what is right, knowing what is loving, knowing it won't work everywhere and doing it anyway. Jesus was noble. The people were more right than they knew. A king had come. A king who had a spiritual kingdom that would outlast all other kingdoms in the history of the world. A king who would rule in love. A king who would not be like any other king or any other politician on the face of the earth. This one, his burden will be light. This one will serve you. In fact, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And those that follow me do that. We have a king who doesn't call our sons to die for him. He died for our sons and daughters. What a king we have. As we think of Palm Sunday, we need to ask ourselves the questions. Why did Jesus come here? And of what is he king? Would you bring your group up, please, Mark? This is a holy week. And I hope somebody does go and relieve Mark Howard eventually. If not, he'll be there Sunday. But he's praying for you. We're all praying for you, for the kingdom, for Franklin, for this region. We're praying because we have a king 
we've got to remember why he came and of what he is king, or we will forsake him as did they. He must be king over all aspects of our lives because his kingdom never ends, and because it never ends, his call on our life never ends. He is the guardian of our ways, the king of our life, the Lord of our heart, and the reason and the mission and the meaning of our lives. Would you stand with me, please? Everything has changed. Do not act as if Christ hasn't happened. He happened. It changes everything. The Lord has come. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Would you say that with me? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the third time, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God bless you through this week.